John starts with John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John ends with four chapters where we behold the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus talked about being the life, the bread of life, the living water, the resurrection and the life. And now we see the resurrected Christ giving life to his disciples. But it all comes down to four words. These four words are that you may believe. Say them with me. That you may believe. Let's say it again. That you may believe. Would you lift up your, your, your forefinger, please? Just raise it around the room. Hold your finger up, and I want you to point to yourself. That you may believe. Tell yourself. That you may believe. That you may believe. Point to the person next to you that you may believe. Go the other way, that you may believe. Now, I want you to understand this. It says here in the last verse of chapter 20, it says, but these are written so that you may believe, that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, what he's saying is, everything that he included in his gospel, every action of Jesus, every word of Jesus, every moment in the gospels, is written, is contained in this book, that you may believe. That you may believe. That's the end game. But the end game of that you may believe is, is, is included here also. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Faith, living faith, is not just to get you to heaven. Living faith is, get, is to get in you the life of God. That's the, that's the result of living faith. All living faith welcomes the living God into life now. And that's the message of the Gospel of John. The last verse of the Gospel of John in chapter 21, verse 25, says that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, all the libraries in the world would not be able to contain uh, the, the archive. Now, admittedly, there were a lot fewer libraries back then than there are now, but, but it was still true that there were so many more, but these are included, not just so that the disciples might believe, because they already believed, so that we might believe, that you may believe, that you will believe. That you will believe is really the plan of God for you today. And I just want to say, everything going on in the Gospel of John is that you may believe. But everything going on in your life today is to bring about in you that you may believe. And that by believing, that you may have life in his name. Now just think about this for a moment. Before we get into these two chapters, I just want to get next to you for a moment. There are circumstances in your life right now that are challenging 
your faith. And some of us have come to the conclusion that God really can't do anything about this situation. And we're more in a position today of unbelief than we are of faith. Let me just tell you, it's those exact areas that are testing your faith today that God wants you to welcome him into because into those stubborn, seemingly impossible situations is where God wants to infuse his life for you right now. Those things are not the hindrance. Those are the doorway. And faith is not you telling God what he needs to do for you. That's not faith. Faith is opening the door and welcoming God into your situation. And then God will show you what he will do and that what only he can do. That's faith. You and I are living in a day when one of the greatest attacks against the church is the attack against faith. And some enemy forces have infiltrated the ranks. And one of the popular, frankly, heresies that's being taught Christians today is popularly known as the health-wealth gospel. And I want to tell you, the health-wealth gospel is a disease. It's a disease to the church. Because the, health, the, the, the issue with the health-wealth gospel is not faith. It's false faith. At best, it's shallow faith. It's, it's faith that says, in order for you to, have, to get God to answer your prayers, you need to rule out all negative thoughts. You even need to rule out an accurate view of reality. This, this false faith teaching will tell you you can have 103 temperature for five days and you've lost taste and smell, but, but in faith you need to say, I don't have COVID, I don't have COVID, I don't have COVID. Well, what in the world? That is not faith. That's not faith. That, that's Looney Tunes. That's insanity. That's not faith. Or this same stream of false teaching will tell you you need more faith. You need, to, you need to manufacture more faith. And so you not only need to alter your perception of reality, but you need to confess what you want from God. And then your confession will somehow trigger God to, to, to meet you once you have this level of faith. Well, that's not biblical. Where do we see this? The, what, what Jesus offers is himself. The presence of God. The life of God. Into our reality. Not some alternate universe. Some phony reality. God wants to meet you today in the middle of the challenges that you're facing. Please let the scriptures today hose you down from a false teaching of faith. False faith puts the emphasis on your faith. Living faith puts the emphasis on your God. 
ultimately, false faith teaches you to trust yourself, your faith. Living faith leads you to trust in God. Living faith does not tell God what he ought to do. Living faith welcomes God and watches what he's going to do. Now, God has perfect ability. Once you welcome him, he will give you words of faith. He will give you prayers of faith. Then you know they're real. Because they're not starting with your will or your intentions. They start with him. And when he comes, he can speak a word to your spirit. Go, Where did that come from? That's God. You know it wasn't something you produced. Now with that backdrop, the, the first time we read faith in, in John's gospel is in John chapter 2. It's verse 11. And it's right after the first miracle of Cana, uh, uh, the, the turning the water into wine. And there it says, and the disciples believed. That's the, that was what it led to. They believed. They saw what God could do in the middle of an impossible situation. That, that wedding was about to unravel. That wedding reception was going bad. They ran out of wine. They, they was grumbling and complaining. Everyone was going to look bad. The host was going to look bad. The father of the, the bride was going to look bad. The father of the groom was going to look bad. The groom was going to look bad. And, and everything was going bad. It was just a bad scene. So they, they, they activated Jesus. And, and all Mary said was, do what he tells you. She didn't even promise he's going to fix the situation. Just do what he tells you. Welcome Jesus to the wedding. Because when Jesus is at the wedding, all bets are off. Anything can happen. And he changed the situation once they welcomed him. Gave way to him. Now, here in John 20... This is the, the miracle of all miracles. This is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So it starts with unbelief. Mary is the first one there. It's kind of cool. We could call her Mary the misfit. Um, and I say that affectionately. But she was, she was a, a, a case and a half. I mean, she, she was not your poster child of a, 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 a church member. I mean, this, this woman had deep needs. But Jesus met her, and he took her to his soul care conference and ministered deliverance and healing uh, to her soul. And, and so because of that, Mary loved Jesus, and she's the first one to get to the, the tomb and found it empty, but she had no faith. She ran and told the disciples, um, someone stole his body. Now, by her own words, that's a total unbelief. She was so unbelieving toward the possibility of a resurrection. She, she, I mean, it never even went through her, through her mind, even when his body's gone. So John and, and Peter run to the tomb. And uh, Peter uh, uh, got, uh, he got there second. John outran him. Now John's telling the story, so it's kind of bragging rights. Twice, twice he says, uh, this other disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. Well, he was younger, maybe Peter was a little portly, uh, couldn't run quite as fast, whatever it was, but uh, John got there first. And, um, but the, the end game, look at verse 8. It says, and 
And this disciple, referring to himself, this other disciple, believed. It's the, it's the result. This disciple believed. Mary didn't believe. She clearly testified to her unbelief. Uh, they took his body. He's still dead, but it's gone. It's missing. But John ignited with faith. Now, what follows here is four resurrection appearances captured by John. Three of them are in chapter 20. One extended uh, resurrection appearance is in chapter 21. Now, there are four contained here in John. There are 14 contained in the New Testament. So there's 10 outside of John. John reports on four of them. The first is, again, to Mary. Mary the misfit. Mary has a personal resurrection appearance. Now, understand, when Jesus first appeared to her, she still didn't believe that it was Jesus. Now, imagine he's standing right there talking to you, but she was so hardened by unbelief that this was so far out of the realm of possibility that he's standing there talking, and, and he, he, she didn't recognize him. And then, she, then Jesus says to her her name, Mary. I don't know how he said it. I don't know the... But, but what she heard was her name spoken with dignity, with respect, with affection, in a way that it had to be Jesus. And she turned and says, Rabbi! It was the hearing of her name spoken in the voice of Jesus that woke her up out of her unbelief. And now she knows it's him come back from the dead. It's the first appearance in John's Gospel. The second... Jesus comes to the disciples, the ten. Thomas was doing something else. Judas, we know what happened to him, but the ten. Jesus shows up. And twice he says to them, peace be with you. Would you say that with me? Peace be with you. It's a little louder. Peace be with you. This is a word we need to hear Jesus say. We are living in a day when we need to hear Jesus say, peace be with you. Please receive it this morning. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Some say, well, why twice? Some say, well, it's peace with God on the horizontal and peace with people on the, I'm sorry, on the, peace with God on the vertical and peace with people on the horizontal. Maybe that's why he said it twice. Maybe he just wanted to reinforce it. For whatever reason, he said it twice, and they heard it, and they received it. But Thomas wasn't there. So it says in chapter 20 here, verse 25, so the other disciples, that's 10 of them, tell Thomas, the 11th, we have seen the Lord. Now, wouldn't you think that would stir up a little faith? You've got 10 disciples of Jesus telling you, we have seen the Lord. But look at how deep Thomas's unbelief was. And he, he actually takes an oath. This gets pretty bad. Unless I see the hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Wow, that's pretty stiff. 
That's, that's, that's unbelief. That's a high level. I will never believe. Well, Jesus met him in that. And before we know it, Jesus appears. And he doesn't condemn Thomas. He goes right up to him. And he, he calls him out. And he first says, peace be with you. But then he says to Thomas, verse 27, put your finger here and see the place, uh, and put your hand in the place in my side. And then he exhorts him, do not disbelieve, but believe. Wow. I wonder how often Jesus has told me that. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Well, I mean, I don't want to get too graphic here, but this is kind of gross. I mean, it's Jesus, but uh, as a pastor, when, when people have knee surgery, I always check, how are you doing? And, and then when they come back to church, I hope you're doing well. And, and, and they'll often, this often happens. Please don't do this to me. But often people will say, oh, here, look, you want to see? It's like, oh, please. Oh. Well, I don't know, Th Thomas was wired different. I mean, there's, frankly, there's something wrong with Thomas. He not only wants to touch his hands, he wants to put his hand in his side. He'd give me a break. And I, maybe he'd make a better pastor than, than Fred Hartley. I'm sure he would, but man, that's just going over the edge to me. But, but, but Jesus let him. And then, then he, after he kind of rebukes him, do not disbelieve, but believe. Then Thomas gives his declaration of faith. My Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus was not God, he would have corrected Thomas. But he received it because he is. It's one of the great, if you have had problems believing that Jesus is God, there you have it. Another proof positive. And then Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Well, that's, that's, we know the answer to that. But then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, who, who's he thinking of? Us. He's thinking of you and me. Blessed are you who have not seen, who have not put your hand in Jesus' side, and yet you believe. Now, this is a culmination moment. Now, for the first time, all 11 remaining disciples now have declared, we believe. We are linked to the risen Christ. He is our God, our Lord. First time. So now with that culmination, with that high point, now John gives the reason he wrote this. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. That you may believe. Say it with me. That you may believe. Again, that you may believe. One more time. That you may believe. And what is true of what is written is true of what's being written in your life today. What's happening in your life today is calling you into faith. 
so that you would open the door and welcome the life of God into your situation. That's faith, that you may believe. Now after, after really laying it out, now we have one more whole chapter with one extended resurrection appearance. It's Jesus now meeting the disciples back on their turf back in Galilee. They're, they're out fishing. They've caught nothing. We've heard that before. And Jesus said, cast the net out the other side and a miraculous catch. And then they believe. They believe again. This, this activation of faith, the word believe, appears in John 106 times. That you may believe, that you may believe, that you may believe. And so the disciples, as soon as they pull in this catch, they say, it's the Lord! And they went and had a meal with Jesus. They had a little lake perch. Delicious. Breakfast perch. Delicious. Fish for breakfast. And in this environment, in these last words of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, with his disciples, there's three words that rise up. Love, lead, feed, and tend, or serve. Love, serve, and follow. Three times Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Now there's nuances of differences, but he was drawing Jesus, every time he asked the question, he was drawing Jesus into a love relationship. The point is this. Your faith, my faith, our faith, personal, corporate, is the purpose of your faith is to cultivate your love relationship with Jesus. That's the heart of it. It's not getting things from God, it's getting God. Amen. Don't think your, your, your faith is there for you to have like control over, over every circumstance and you can get from God whatever you want. No, you get God. And particularly, you get the, the life-giving presence of God and a loving relationship. Let me say, faith, more than faith being doctrinal, faith is relational. It's not simply what you believe. It's what does that belief lead you to in your relationship with God? Your faith is to lead you into a love relationship with, the, with Jesus. And that's why here, after he establishes the role of his whole book, that you may believe, he shows what that faith does. Love. And then every time he asks the question about love, do you love me, do you love me, Peter, do you love me? He gives them something to do. Then feed my sheep, then lead my sheep, then tend my sheep. Uh, slight nuances in the words he used, but basically he's giving them service. You're gonna serve me. So the first result of faith is love with Jesus, a loving relationship. The second is serving Jesus, and God gives you certain ways to serve. And the third word here is follow. Jesus mentions it twice, once in verse 19, and then again in 22, follow me, follow me. You see, faith is all about following Jesus. Faith leads us to follow. 
faith doesn't put us in control over our circumstances. Faith puts us under the control of God and welcomes God into those circumstances so that we can follow Jesus in every circumstance. Now, brothers and sisters, this is where we are today. Wherever you find yourself today, and let me just put it this way. The thing that makes you today complain in your spirit, what you're complaining about, is probably the area God wants to activate faith in you. Or the area that's stealing your joy. That's an area God wants you to exercise faith. Or the area that's causing fear to you. Fear. That's That's an area where God's calling you to faith. Let let me just lay out for us in in a single glance the difference between shallow faith and living faith. Shallow faith is static. Well, you check it off. Yeah, I believed God for salvation when I was 16. No, living faith is dynamic. Shallow faith is more doctrinal. Living faith is more relational. Shallow faith is one and done. Living faith is growing and fluid. Shallow faith puts the emphasis on what we do. Living faith puts the emphasis on what God does. Shallow faith cultivates the presence of fear. Living faith, the presence of God. Shallow faith leaves you striving. Living faith leaves you resting. Shallow faith is unreal, phony. Living faith uh, affirms a higher reality. Uh, Shallow faith says God can't. Living faith, God can. Shallow faith, it's up to me. Living faith, it's up to God. Shallow faith, it's you trust yourself. Living faith, you trust God. And I call you today, not to abandon your faith, but to mature in your faith. Move from the shallow end to the deep end. Move from shallow faith to living faith. And I'm, I, I just, I, I, I am confident today that many of us in this room, if not every one of us, has an area of our lives, a circumstance that we're facing that is challenging our faith. Yes. It's testing our faith. Yes. Every faith is a, is a faith test. And I... I Change, I I move your focus by the grace of God off of trusting yourself to trusting in God. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, therefore since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of faithful witnesses, let's throw off every weight and sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. If you are looking at yourself, you will sink. If you are looking to Jesus, he is the founder of your faith and the perfecter. Shift your focus off of yourself onto him. Hallelujah. This is why it says in the preceding chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Or Romans chapter 13, verse 23, where it says that anything that does not come from faith is sin. 
Or in Hebrews chapter 3, where uh, the writer says in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now just think about that. Evil, unbelieving. We usually think evil, immoral. Evil, hateful. But, but here, the evil is not those, those high-ranking sins that we usually think of. It's the subtle sin of unbelief. Let me, let me explain why this is so, such an issue. Everything God is doing in your life is leading you that you may believe. And everything the devil wants to do in your life is that you not believe. What was it that recorded in this book, the first words we hear from Satan, did God really say? He's trying to spawn unbelief. And then the next words, the devil said, you surely will not die. Completely contradicting what God had said. It's all unbelief. Now don't allow the enemy to make faith so abstract. Faith is real. Faith is the door that, op that opens you to the presence and life of God. To welcome his life into your current reality. That's faith. And when you welcome God, you will see him work miracles like you never imagined possible. Don't allow anyone to tell you faith is not real. No, faith is real. But God is more real. And even your little, immature, shallow faith is enough to open the door to the presence of God. Because he is the founder and the perfecter of your faith. Would you stand with me this morning? We've structured our time so that we have, have adequate time to be able to respond to the Lord. And as our worship team comes, I, I've asked several of our uh, leaders on the prayer team and our elders to come, men and women, and position yourselves, please, to be ready to pray with our people this morning. Uh, get in pairs. Um, uh, uh, some couples, some uh, just for women, some for men. Because we want to have a transaction this morning. We want to open the door. We want to open the door to the living God and welcome his life. This is a turning point moment. We, the last thing we want this morning is to just think about faith. That you may believe. Not that you, you may change your mind on something, but that you may believe that, that your living faith will access this morning the presence of the living God in the middle of your life. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And if you have some area in your life that, that you've been worried about, you've been stewing about, and, and maybe even complaining about, fearful about, would you take that one area right now and bring it to the Lord and say, forgive my unbelief, but this morning I open the door and I ask you to come in.
If that's your prayer, would I just see your hand around the room? Lord, I open the door, and I invite you to come in. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, cast the mountain into the sea this morning. Throw out the unbelief. Throw it out. Deliver us as a people. Deliver me from the mountain of unbelief. And infuse me now with the life of your presence. I receive the activation of faith to welcome you into this area of my life. Now I want to ask you, church family, would you step out? Would you act on your faith and come for prayer? Come to just acknowledge. This morning I opened the door. I don't know exactly how God's going to work it out, but I want to open the door. I want to receive the presence of Christ into this area of my life. As we sing, I want to encourage you to slip out and, and come for prayer. Let's meet the Lord.